So I was reading about this space, the security space, the SAS security space. And this is a vast, complicated space. Um, and like so many spaces in SaaS and in technology, it looks like it's going to explode in the next few years. But let's bring our guest in to talk about that. Hi, Sandrine. Thank you for being patient while I get the technical things worked out. No worries. Hi, Steve. Hi, everyone. Hey. Yeah. How are you today? I'm feeling cool. I'm feeling very fine. I'm very glad to um, talk to you and um, all the other people. So this is very exciting. All right. Just to be clear, clear, so you're not only the CEO of Cosman, you're also the co-founder, correct? Yes, I co-founded the company, yes, with my business partner, Bruno, who's the uh, CTO, uh, the technical uh, director, yeah. Okay. And how long has the company been around? It's been around for five years now. Already five years. That's, uh, that's a lot. Already yeah. five years. <laughs> Being a startup CEO and co-founder is a little bit like dog years. I think we age faster. Yeah, don't, don't talk to me about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll avoid that subject. Fair enough. Well, listen, let's let's talk a little bit about Cosmian. So, I was reading about your background, and it seemed like uh, early on the company's founders did a lot of work with the CNR. It's like you have a really strong technical foundation, and that was a big part of what you did to start the company. Is that correct? Yeah, abso yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, um, the thing what happened is when with uh, my co-founder we got interested into 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 data, into data, and how to protect data. We had this, um, as entrepreneur, we could see there was huge avenues to improve um, how sensitive data can be used and at the same time being super protected. And this is actually what started to get us excited about the project and get to the project. And we had another um, thing that we wanted to match with uh, what eventually became Cosmian. We thought that to somehow solve this paradox of how to massively use sensitive data and at the same time make sure that protection, security, and confidentiality are really, you know, 100% uh, uh, you know, um, uh, done. Um, we thought that um, a technical solution, a technology actually has to be put in place. Not that we believe in technology is going to save the world and this is the best thing that's ever happened. It's not really that, but we thought that need to go to um, a next step and something which is really strong, something that we can't technically understand. And it has to be beyond, you know, uh, agreement that people could sign on paper, just to be a little bit caricatural, but that was the idea. And so we start to think, we started to think, okay, what kind of technology could actually help solve this, this, this paradox? Um, new technology or something, you know, already existing. So let's look around. And this how we started to look around in a couple of um, technology. And we, for instance, look at the blockchain. Um, and we thought that we could actually now with Cosmian have the blockchain, but it wasn't going to be the technology actually to uh, solve the paradox of accessing and using and protecting sensitive data. And eventually, you know, especially on the part of my co-founder, Bruno, who can read academic paper on mathematics and cryptography. I'm an engineer, you know, in background, but I, you know, I, I will stop after a few lines of the academic abstract in mathematics. Um, but then, you know, at some point he said, you know, I just was reading this paper by this um, fantastic laboratory in cryptography, which is based in, uh, in Paris. It's actually a laboratory from Ecole Normale Supérieure, CNRS and INRIA, which is actually, um, managed by uh, Professor David Poinchval, who's a very famous, worldwide actually famous uh, cryptographer and mathematicians. And we were like, mm, 
Eureka, you know, this is it. We, we found it. This, we need to use cryptography to uh, solve the paradox of how to protect data and use data. And this is how everything started. And as you mentioned, it was really at the same time I was uh, administratively, you know, started the company. Uh, we contacted Professor David Poincheval. Uh, I remember it was in the middle of, uh, of July, you know, the, the summer month <laughs> uh, in Paris. And yeah, we, we were reading your paper. We have a few questions because we didn't really understand everything. Uh, and we have this idea about company or product services. Can we, uh, can we talk? And the answer is say, yes, sure, um, come over. And this is how things started. So yes, from the very beginning for us to have this um, fundamental, very strong, you know, uh, DNA in tech, and in academic, uh, that was very important to us. This is also something that kept us excited and that we love to do, you know, in our daily job. So that was a, that was a way to match actually um, uh, the need for the company, the market, but also uh, a personal, you know, uh, interest and enthusiasm um, about uh, academic research. Okay, uh, it's really interesting. I think that's one of the things that's really unique about the French tech sector is um, tends to be a really strong connection increasingly so with deep technology i think before there was a little bit of a break like where people like to mix too much technology and business and deep research in business but increasingly that's not the case um yeah so i think that's uh, the the increase that you notice is i think there was like um evolution on both sides i think that maybe 10 years ago or 20 15 years ago it wasn't that obvious i mm. think that uh, entrepreneurs and you know um academics researchers you know uh, Top level academic research, we are maybe living in different worlds, um, seeing each other, you know, uh, not as enemy, but, you know, okay, if you're an entrepreneur, you're not in uh, science, not in research, and, and vice versa. And I think that things are, have improved a lot in that uh, aspect, and that, you know, you have bridges and you have more connection and you have ability to, um, um, as I was explaining, um, contact and work with um, incredible, you know, um, scientists, you know, a king in their fields. Um, and with also the tech aspects, so especially in, in our field, you know, with cryptography, which is basically mathematics, <clears throat> um, this is a field which is evolving, uh, I would say, academically speaking, very fast. Yeah. Uh, there are things you can do now with cryptography that you couldn't do five years ago when we started the company. So the technology also, you know, have this potential to move from the lab to the market uh, I will not say it's easy because our job is not easy, but it's marketable pretty much in a time frame which is compatible with uh, with a business. Maybe there are some other, you know, academic field, you know, uh, uh, in physics uh, or maybe in biology or, or others that um, the time to market will be uh, longer, uh, very long. Um, but in our case, uh, this is something which is also super interesting uh, is the fact that, uh, yeah, the novelty, the innovation that those technologies can bring uh, is, in, is a pay, the pace is very strong, very fast, and the marketability of what we can do with that is also uh, very high. So that's a good combination to be in that field right now. Yeah, and I think you know, there's adoption of the cloud. There's the clouds getting more complex. We have multi clouds. We have hybrid clouds. Uh, we, now there's quantum computing, computing which is going to change cryptography. Uh, I don't know how you even secure things using cryptography computing, and as soon as someone comes out can, with a way to do you. it, I can explain you. <laughs> you do, can explain we it do, to me. We do already a post-quantum cryptography, so I, I can talk a little bit about that in a, 
Okay. I actually wrote that down as one of my questions, so maybe we'll get to that. Okay. Um, so um, what, let's start with, you know, we're B2B rocks, we're SaaS radio. So how do you help SaaSes? So we help SaaS um, services, uh, platform providers. We help them actually to increase the level of security and confidence. And it is very important because now the data those actually companies receive to perform their services, those data come from other companies. Uh, they could come from banks, for instance. We work a lot actually in financial services on that. Banks could be hospitals. Um, so the data providers actually are different from the data service provider, which are the SaaS platform. And now uh, with this environment of multi-cloud that you mentioned, you know the the level of security which is increasing. You know um, now for SaaS platform, it is important to. Um, provide uh, evidences uh, and include in their services the fact that security and confidentiality of the data that they are manipulating is super high. And this is even reaching to a point, and this is when it comes to cryptography. So cryptography being the, the science of uh, encrypt data and decrypt data. Um, it's now up to a point where with you know the um, development of cryptography and the requirements actually uh, very demanding on, on the part of those data providers um, is to be able for SaaS provider to still, of course, provide their services to their clients, but in a way where they don't have any access to the data in clear text. So they can actually provide their service working and exploiting data encrypted, and they will never, never see uh, the data from the uh, banks' customers, for instance, or from the patient at the hospital and stuff like that. So this is this is really something. This is great. I, I think this is um, to be able to reach that level of security and confidentiality. Of course, everybody wants to do so. It wasn't, you know, merely possible um, a couple of years ago. Or if it was possible, it was maybe in a, in a bench, in a laboratory, you know, in theory. But the performance was actually not good. Um, but this is why I was mentioning that in the past years, you know, uh, there was incredible progress in cryptography and you can do stuff now that you couldn't do five years ago. So now actually being able to help SaaS providers um, to actually um, provide um, a higher level of security, uh, this is actually something that is going to help them also to secure this because that demand from the data provider is, is coming very strongly. And for SaaS provider, it's, uh, it's really a way to... Uh, to win business and to develop greater business with your current clients if you can bring you know that level of security and confidentiality and this is where we actually play a role we we actually uh, provide bricks with cryptography to SaaS providers to help them to do their job in total confidentiality and security okay so you're the legos on the security side on the cryptography side. yeah that that, that's what I read about your company, and, and that's what I found a little bit hard to understand, is it sounds like you allow people to use data, to analyze data, um, but there's a layer there that provides still privacy and security. So um, just it's it's hard for someone who doesn't have the expertise to really fathom how, how that works, but that is absolutely fascinating. But, you know, there's so much data, and the, pro the question now becomes is how do we protect that? Um, so who, who is your ideal um, 
client profile? Who who uses this? Are these people in really sensitive industries or is this across the broad SaaS industry or? So it's actually across the world. So what is also super exciting and interesting in, in the, the field where we operate, oh. apart from the uh, excitement with the cryptography and the academic part, is also the fact that it starts, you know, uh, when we started the company, it was uh, in the middle of, of uh, a big push for GDPR and the um, how to protect sensitive data. And when people think sensitive data, they think personal data, obviously, right. and of course. So they think um, medical data, they think personal data, you know, uh, email, age, uh, gender, stuff like that. Uh, there's also a lot of sensitive data, uh, personal data in financial services. And no wonder that actually we started, you know, working with clients in banks mostly and in the health sector, because these are the two sectors, you know, the two industrial vertical where you have those personal, very sensitive data that you need to use and manipulate all the time. This is at the essence of the job of the bank and at the job of the pharmaceutical laboratory or the hospital. Um, so they still want to be able to do their job and at the same time to, um, Actually, they have to. increase. They have to. They have to, yeah. and they have to increase that level of, uh, of of security. So this is how we started. Definitely, you know, with this type of industry, these two. But it's really evolving now. This is why it's so interesting to other sectors where data may not be uh, personal in the sense of the GDPR, you know, personal data, but still very sensitive and confidential, especially in the industrial world. I mean, in a broad sense of it, production data, energy data. When you are in environments such as supply chain, actually, you have different, you know, uh, players, um, third party in the supply chain. You have, um, you have manufacturers. You may have, um, uh, you know, um, supplier of material suppliers. You may have regulator. You may have services, different stuff. I mean, different players, actually. And, um, and we now work for, um, company which are industry company that need to protect and use uh, industry data, which are not uh, GDPR personal data, but they are still very confidential and sensitive data, uh, even if they are not personal. So this is why we, we really see um, from our perspective as we develop the company that it really started in the first two years with answering you know, those needs for the company and the sector with those very sensitive personal data. And then this is really you know, uh, progressing into other industry where data are also very confidential and very sensitive, but not even when they are not personal. I can give you some example, you know, uh, whenever you want. Yeah, so, well, please do. Please. Why don't you give us a concrete example? So, yeah. So, for instance, in the in the I would say non-GDPR, you know, personal sensitive data field. So, um, uh, for instance, we we work with um, uh, with a big company in the U.S. It's a company who uh, manufactures, you know, uh, tools, machinery. So, machinery tools. It's a huge manufacturer, and they provide those tools to their clients. Uh, and those clients are going to use these tools to produce their own, you know, product or, um, or elements. It's a huge company. And what they want to do as a company is they want to increase the, the service and optimize the production process for their clients. So to do so, they need to access uh, the production data uh, of their clients to do some. It's not rocket science, uh, you know, uh, uh, analysis. It could be, you know, simple statistics, you know, uh, about... Um, optimization, uh, default in production, stuff like that. Not rocket science, but very important. 
Um, and this is to say that data is not always related to uh, super, you know, complicated AI stuff. You have also very basic problem with basic statistics that you can actually uh, address. So, um, so they turn to their customers and say, hey, we would like to provide this service that would be good for you. You will optimize and blah, 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 um, uh, your, your service to us, et cetera, et cetera. And the clients say, yeah, we are very interested in that, but there's no way you're going to access our production data. This is very sensitive. Uh, because you will have access to our suppliers, you will have access at how we produce actually the product using your tools, but this is also our secret source. So this is complicated. No way is going to happen. Right. Um, and we help them actually because we're going to help with our products and with cryptography uh, to help anonymize the data on premise at our clients' customers, you know, premises, yeah. and then our clients will be able to retrieve, anonymize, and encrypted data. And from those data, they will be able to perform, actually, the analytics and then provide the recommendation to their clients. I, 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 see, I see where you're going with this now. I think of a company like John Deere with all their tractors. And so they've got tons of information coming to their tractors, and then they have tons of information coming no, in about their clients I, 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 and what I they're do, producing. I, I dream to work with them. If you have any contacts, please let me know. <laughs> They're really fantastic. Exactly. That's exactly this type of, you know, very industrial, you know, uh, down to earth, you know, with John Deere stuff. Yeah. And this is actually definitely where we can help. Yeah. That was a great pun, down to earth. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, um, you know, there was, I forgot the person, I, I remember reading his name, but he said, you know, data is the new oil. Um, and just like to take oil out of the ground, there's a cost, and then we have to transform it in order to produce something and create value with it. Sorry, I know that it's not very ecological correct to talk no. about uh, oil, but it's the same thing with data. So these companies are producing data. There's value in that data, but the question is, is how do you secure it, and how do you, like you say, make it uh, anonymous so that you're not giving away their secret sauce mm -hmm. and make it mm -hmm. so that the data is exploitable. Thing. Is there an ecological aspect to this too? Do you, as you look to encrypt data and, and make things usable, are you looking also how to do this in a way that's most energy efficient or is that still further down on the horizon? Yeah. Yes, we look at this and this is actually, I would say, um, there's a positive collateral effect to that because when we work on improving the, the performance of encryption, mm -hmm. uh, so performance would mean that, you know, um, when you think about encrypting, you know, data or encrypting, uh, you basically adding noise to the data. So, so people know that when you add that noise, you will, you know, somehow increase the size of the data. Um, and then if you increase the size, it's becoming uh, more energy consuming in terms of storing, uh, in terms of processing, so on and so forth. So actually working on um, uh, the performance of the encryption is again going to reduce, uh, you know, the energy that you're going to consume to store the data and using it. Uh, so it's not only because if you, the performance is good, then then our customers, you know, usually they have the choice between, okay, I work in clear text and this is going to be complicated in case of, you know, uh, data leakage or um, cyber attacks. So I know I should encrypt as much as possible. But I'm afraid that why I'm encrypting, actually, I'm going to lose the performance of my systems. And sometimes my systems, they need to be, yeah, super performant. Like, if you think about the, the bank, they have trillions of data all the time. So it's good to encrypt. But then if you, when you want to access your data, it takes two or three minutes. It's, uh, it will never, it's not marketable. It's not a market, marketable product. So when you work on the performance, yes, it's actually 
doing this benefit that actually it will reduce also um, how you're going to consume the energy to, to your process. Uh, so it's definitely something which can happen. So, so I've worked on the peripheries of, of data security in another industry before. And one, one of the things, now this was a few years ago, it was in a different industry, but such, but I'll always say they want to be secure. Um, when you read Gartner reports, everyone says security is a priority. Mm. Um, but what always shocks me is how insecure everything is. Um, is this, and how, how reticent people are to spend money on this as well. Um, is this less the case for you since people are really looking to exploit this data and they're motivated, they, they get more value out of the data? Well, you definitely, you definitely have a cost benefit analysis for right. clients. And now we are reaching a point where doing nothing is going to cost more right. <laughs> than investing <laughs> in doing something efficient. So <laughs> if I may say so. So, um, so this is why it's, it's, uh, it's a good time to be, uh, to be uh, doing this in this business because now really um, it's, um, it's not only a, so it's, it's a question of money, but this is really the fact that, yeah, when you balance, you know, uh, the risk, the cost and, and the benefits, uh, now um, you need to, to keep the same benefits you need to invest and you need to reduce the risk. Um, because everything actually, you know, as you mentioned, now everything goes into the cloud. It wasn't the case five or 10 years ago. So the risks were different and they were maybe better monitored because everything was on-prem, um, because data, it was databases. Now we talk about big data in the cloud. So the, the landscape is very different. And the threats also are different and deeper. Uh, this is not to scare people, but this is to say that you have to adapt. And the tools that were totally fine um, 10 years ago or even eight years ago now are starting to show their limits. Um, and as everything like this progress, um, there's also the regulation and the constraint. And in those sectors, specifically in finance and in health, of course, data is very sensitive. And now as the industry learned more about the best practices and how to protect efficiently data with new tools and, for instance, advanced cryptography as we do. Uh, it's becoming difficult actually not to adopt those best practices. Um, uh, we see, for instance, in financial services, and this is why I was mentioning SaaS provider in fintech. Um, now, those banks, they really um, ask um, fintech as SaaS provider to provide this level of security because if any data leak, you know, happen, even if your customer, you know, like the end user assign, you know, user, user, um, uh, user condition, um, that prevent and say that we're not responsible in if any data leakage happen, this is going to be very difficult to argue that and you know, to protect yourself behind the contract. Uh, especially if you can, if, um, it is demonstrated that there are best practice and way to improve the security that were not actually in place. Uh, so there's really um, like um, the level of, you know, um, of demands and the level is, is augmenting uh, as the means and the tools to meet those requirements, you know, uh, are now existing. Um, so this is actually, it's actually it's a very good news. So yes. Um, that is, that, yeah. that is good news. That is good news. Um, the, the sector I worked in was IoT, <laughs> and I was always shocked 
a head little was being done to protect the data on a device and, and protect the device itself. And it's like people are putting these devices in their house and you're like, it's <laughs> absolutely terrifying. Um, actually, you know, one of the things also about security, I think it's misunderstood is, uh, and, and you write a little bit about this on your website, is zero trust. Mm-hmm. And so I think people think of zero trust as some sort of panacea for security. It's like, okay, we've, we've done that. We've checked that box. And I, I think it's really misleading because it's, it's only like a tiny no. little piece of the security. That's okay. And what do people get wrong about zero trust? So I think zero trust, it's, uh, it's not a, a checkbox, you know, to check. No. It's, really, um, it's really an environment uh, which is depending on many other, you know, elements. The whole point about zero trust is like, um, especially with that massive move to cloud. So basically, you know, while you're in the cloud, your data, your application, you know, um, from a company perspective, you are on somebody else's computer. <laughs> you're not on your own computer. So there are things that you don't control. And the name of the game is to be able to regain control on your data, your application, your infrastructure, even if it's running, you know, uh, not on-prem anymore. Um, so, and that concept of zero trust, it's, it's a concept, but it's, it's not a mindset, but this is a framework and this is a way, it's like a compass, you know, it's a compass to, um, make sure that, um, you are in control. And if you are in control, it means that you don't trust third parties and you don't trust, you know, uh, um, service providers, you, you don't trust, you don't have, you don't have to trust. So it's not ethical, it's not a moral position, you know, <laughs> that you should, you know, mistrust everybody. But from a security perspective, uh, you should know exactly what's happening, you know, to your data, who is accessing that. You should be able to re- to have control on the access, you know, on those data, application and user, everything. Um, and having this control while it's not on-prem anymore. So that zero trust, um, uh, it's it's really to be able to develop your business and your infra and all your services in zero trust environment, meaning that you know exactly, you know, what's going on and you, you are not in a relationship, you know, with a um, provider or service or an infra where the third parties tell you, trust me, you know, I know about security and this is secure with me, trust me. Yeah. So the, the, right, the, the, the thing to say to say, you know, uh, it's not a question of trust. Um, I need to know, I need to access, I need to see, I need to know exactly how the thing's working. And I don't want to be, I don't want to trust you, you know, to not, uh, consider, you know, how I can regain control of my data. So this is, this is, this is zero trust. There's no one product that's doing zero trust, uh, you know, like that for everything. But this is really to have this, we say mindset and this obsession that, uh, you shouldn't trust anyone, at least in the field of cybersecurity, <laughs> of course. Uh, and now there's actually tools for that. Not only cryptography, but open source is actually something very important in zero trust in cybersecurity. And at Cosmian, all our products and our uh, encryption scheme are open trust, uh, open source. Open to source, a- okay. Open source to be able for people to check, you know, what's running and how it works. Um, it is very important. This is something which is definitely also recommended by the uh, uh, the National Cybersecurity Agency, like the ANSI in France, is you know code, you know uh, software. Uh, it should be uh, it should be open source. If not, how can you be sure that there's not you know a backdoor or something weird that's going to run? You need to have access to the to the code. What what about the problem? Uh, I know um, 
in other industries, there's issues with open source where sometimes open source will actually be infected. Great. Uh, have you ever? Um, what? I've seen. I've seen that be an issue. For example, um, in IoT, where people use algorithms and other things in IoT, where the open source, because the code mm. isn't controlled and hasn't been properly audited. Oh, well, the, the whole point of, you know, um, open source is to be auditable. So I don't yeah. know exactly about those, uh, those examples that, uh, that you mentioned, but the, the whole point of it is that, you know, other people can exactly, you know, audit your code and, 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 and actually identify, you know, uh, uh, vulnerabilities and weaknesses. And, and it's, it's almost the case in that cryptographic, uh, you know, space because, you know, if you encrypt, you hide, obviously. <laughs> so, so you can't just say, okay, trust me, you know, I'm, I'm hiding the stuff in the proper way. But there's always, you know, people, and especially in the cryptography community, which is a very um, uh, dense community, um, people want, need to check. And this is something that we rely on. You know, we, there's things that actually can, uh, that we, we might miss. So that's why it's important actually to have other people to review and to pinpoint and to point to uh, uh, issues that could be in your code or in the schemes. So um, I th I'm not familiar with the issues that you mentioned, but were they really open source and um, um, how this was monitored? So um, I, I don't know exactly, but um, well, when you commit, when you commit, you have the code. You see, you know how people commit. You see the comments. Yeah. Um, and, and first of all, you know. Um, as a, a software publisher, we are open source. It doesn't mean that it's open bar, and it doesn't mean because you know large corporations um, uh, they want to have support, they want to have maintenance, uh, they want to make sure that you know they work with a company which is uh, solid and provide you know uh, the level of services that they they want to then they are absolutely uh, right to uh, uh, to demand. So um, uh, sometimes you know you know the um, the universes got mixed, you know, between open source, could be amateur or not. Um, yeah. So um, open source means business. So that's, that would be my key message. <laughs> well, I think, I mean, not all projects are the same. Open source projects are the same. And so, but I mean, I think the fact that when you have more people looking at code and auditing code and more people looking at uh, cryptographic algorithms and auditing mm. those algorithms, yeah. That's, yeah. that's a good idea. But once again, we talk about security. You can have open source project, and we have seen some of this project in the health field, for instance. And actually, we were asked to complement open source project uh, to actually add the layer of security. So uh, I think that maybe in the IoT stuff that you mentioned, there will be maybe an issue with the security of um, of the software of the code, um, yeah, uh, and not maybe the and not maybe the product of the code itself, you know, of the IoT service, but something related to security. My bad, I took you down a rabbit. No, I don't know. <laughs> so my bad. Um, yeah, I think you know when I was listening to you talk about that, which is in zero trust, I was just thinking about like it just means understanding your attack plane understanding all the different vulnerabilities, map those out, and make sure that when you're sharing data. It is going back and forth between you and your partner, all the different points of ability, and that all those are understood, uh, and that but, it's being yeah. properly treated at each level. Yeah, but usually the people we talk to, they 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 know, but they they know that, but they need to. Sometimes they don't know that things that you know are possible now were not possible five years ago. So this is also oh. a job to uh, make it known. But uh, and and usually, as you say, the thing is like 
don't trust anyone with your own security. That's what I mean. It's like this, this, this is your job and you need to know exactly what's going on. You need to access anything that you need to make sure that your security is, is safe. So in that sense, this is what is called zero trust. So your organizations you're working with, is, do they typically have a CISO? Do they typically have a chief information security yes. officer? Yes, that's typically the people we talk to. Um, that's a cybersecurity team, um, um, the, the tech team, you know, CTO, CISO, um, could be the people working, uh, you know, with data. And the things, you know, you, you have this couple, you know, I would say, uh, between the data people and the cybersecurity people and the, the way the dynamic works. Sounds like <laughs> Protest Protestants and Catholics, okay? Yes. No, more or less. But the thing is, like, um, uh, data people, they have tons of creative ideas, you know, to use data and to develop the business. Uh, and technical stuff that's fantastic and then usually you know uh, they before doing anything because they they know the, the boundaries obviously uh, they will turn to the cyber security and see people say hey we have this great idea we'd like to do that and usually the cyber security team will say no so uh, it's because it's um, because it's risky doing stuff with um, sensitive data in care text it, it's not that it's not possible you know legally it's just that it's risky. So once again, we come back to this balance between risk and uh, and, and benefits. And then you know the, we have this cybersecurity team and CISO people that you know they are the um, uh, the the guy who say no. You know, as it's no the no the no guy. The no guys. <laughs> the no guys. Okay. Uh, so we want to have the no guys to become the yes guys. <laughs> and so usually, yeah, we we talk to the people in the data team in the the business actually team dealing with data for different service or product. And we also talk to the CISO team because we could be introduced by the data people saying, hey, you remember what we wanted to do? And you say you can't do that because it's too risky because data is not encrypted, blah, blah, blah. Ta-da! <laughs> we may have a solution for you. And then we uh, go through, you know, the, the audit, you know, and uh, the, the demands of the cybersecurity team uh, for them to check, you know, uh, how things are working and, and everything. So it's a little bit, you know, um, these dynamics usually uh, a lot in, uh, so it could be like data people uh, and also um, architecture, you know, team, uh, especially when there is this huge move to cloud uh, for data application. And they, they, they have those questions. They say, okay, so everything is going to be running and be stored and used, you know, um, not on-prem anymore. Uh, how can I reconcile actually the confidentiality and the security of my client's data while I'm running everything in the cloud? So uh, we also talk directly to um, architecture people and obviously cybersecurity team. Too, yeah. I think, you know, one, we kind of started with the mono cloud where everyone was on a single monolithic cloud provider. Now we're seeing more hybrid environments where people mm. may have some in-house uh, on-premises yeah. and cloud. Mm. And now... We're in a multi-cloud hybrid environment. And now once you start dealing with partners as well, then you have to maybe move data off from your public cloud to their public cloud. It sounds like your space is going to only get exponentially uh, more challenging. Uh, well, I, it's not really tra challenging. It's not the word. It's a lot of opportunity, definitely, oh, because, yeah. <laughs> because it's very actually, american centered no, no, but it's actually because the way it works with us, with Cosmian, so I, I would be very quick on that. 
um, actually encryption system that we that we, we our clients use are totally totally agnostic, you know, um, uh, regarding the cloud, because everything is encrypted before you know being sent to the cloud. So uh, you know the hybrid stuff or the multi-cloud. I mean, for us, this is not an issue because it's it works. You know, whatever is the cloud or the of, of the mix between you know public or, or private, and actually you will be even more surprised if I say that we could see a little comeback of the on-prem. <laughs> actually, I've, at some point, <laughs> I've been reading about this where a lot of organizations, especially bigger organizations, they're looking hmm. at this and they're doing cost-benefit analysis, and they're like, it actually makes sense to have some things on-premise in, in a case and. It depends on the factors, but I've actually seen chops on completely back to on-premise. Well, actually, um, I, I think that this move to cloud is not a hundred percent move to cloud. The, yeah. the bank we work with, you know, they are testing and they are using, alors, not really private cloud, um, public cloud, sorry, but some kind of a private cloud. So yeah, they are pushing stuff to the cloud, but they try also to maintain as much control as possible. That's why this is, as, as you call, uh, private or hybrid. And actually, the example I was giving you about the um, U.S. you know machinery manufacturer, you know, and the fact that um, uh, we were anonymizing data from his, actually the clients, and we have exactly the same case with hospitals and pharmaceutical laboratories. So where are the data that you want to protect? The anonymization and the encryption process will be done on-prem, because those clients they don't want to send the data even encrypted out of their premises. Uh, so. Yeah, so maybe then the calculation later can happen in the cloud, but data actually will be totally, you know, protected. So we see actually in this case, we have actually started to propose um, uh, actually this, it's a confidential computing, you know, um, product using cryptography um, amongst that. We started to offer it as a SaaS platform, uh, actually for our clients to be able, you know, uh, send data and algorithm, everything protected, encrypted and do confidential calculation, you know, using um, using the cloud, actually the SaaS, making sure that with cryptography, the cloud can't learn anything. That's the whole point. You know, you, you want zero trust with the cloud either, uh, obviously. And it was very interesting to see that um, when we started to propose and to push this offering and the business cases, uh, the clients we work uh, with now, they say, okay, we want this, but could you do it on-prem? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So I think that would be, uh, it's, it's not, on-prem is not totally dead yet. Yeah. <laughs> so no, there are actually I, some I, cases it, it will stay very vivid, I think. And um, I know having worked in security environments like that, like in some cases they want almost premises, but I mean, they have secure access to the site and it's, it's really serious. What about, you mentioned the banking and the financial sector. I know a lot of older banking institutions have some really old legacy systems. I don't yeah. know about in France, but in the US, like there's like S390s and really old IBM systems where you have to program with Cobalt. And so um, is that an issue for you? Or uh, that's, I know that's getting really technical, but. Um, no, 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 no. Uh, yes, this is definitely an issue. I, I mean, I, mean I, I think that across the board, this is the same picture, you know, uh, everywhere. Um, I think what so, banks, what they have been doing, so what's interesting with banks is that always look for a new technology, not for the sake of it, but uh, because they, they have this regulation, because they manipulate sensitive data, because you have cross-border stuff, uh, stuff, so on and so forth. So they always look for, you know, new security stuff. So this is an, a, a space where they, they're quite savvy, you know, about what's going on. 
Um, it's not the case of all the sectors. <laughs> We're not dropping names. They, they have but, money. <laughs> and they have money, yeah. But, yeah. Um, pharmaceutical laboratories too, and, and so on and so forth. So, and, um, and yes, and usually there is some legacy stuff, uh, but they have managed um, somehow in the past year to make it evolving and make sure that the, I would say the most critical, you know, applications uh, or infra actually are more recent. I'm not saying this is totally state of the art, and it could depend, you know, on on the banks. You know, if it's a top tier bank or not a top tier bank, maybe they have less money and 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 not the same type of clients and and needs. But uh, yeah, the, the the top banks in France, they have this legacy, but they also, you know, uh, definitely already have implemented, you know, uh, new stuff, new new infra. Uh, so and 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 of course for. Uh, the level of cryptography that we propose, you, it, it, it's, it, it, it can't work with a system in COBOL. So actually, once we were interrogated by, uh, by a bank and by a sector in, in that bank and they say, uh, business in that bank and they say, so can this work, you know, on COBOL or whatever? And we say, and you say, will you try? And we say, we won't even try. It won't work. <laughs> it's not possible to do that. So, uh, so maybe for some stuff, you know, um, or maybe, and I think that the most critical data might not run on those infra anyway. So there might be a, have stuff and they might be using you know um old tools uh but actually definitely uh uh but um, the most critical stuff is definitely you know used already on um uh, very newer. performing uh, newer stuff yeah good structure mm -hmm. um we mentioned quantum computing mm -hmm. so, so as i understand quantum computing is going to destroy a lot of current um cryptography approaches yeah um <laughs> How is this going to work if if most people are on like old school hmm. computing? I don't know what the ah. term is, or or regular computing, and and then some people have access to to quantum computers. I understand we're okay. going to rent these. Yeah. How how are we going to be able to protect our data? Yeah. So the the issue with quantum computing, you know, apart the the you know everything that is opening with uh, the possibility of, of quantum computation, but there are risks, and there is actually that quantum computer. Uh, will be more powerful to actually break the encryption system that we are using currently. So it's it's already known, and uh, there are already actually encryption schemes that you know uh, are not used anymore because anyway uh, it's totally outdated. And um, the point now is to say that um, so quantum computing is not happening now, but it's happening in the near future. Um, in the sense that it's possible now actually to protect and to encrypt uh, the most sensitive data with actually post quantum um, uh, encryption, meaning that with that with those schemes, um, quantic uh, quantum computers won't be able to break the code. Okay. okay, so that's why it's important to because you have data, for instance, medical data. Uh, you encrypt now, and you don't want in 10 years, 20 years, or even five years, seven years, that those data could be actually decrypted. On top of it, if you push those data in the, in the cloud, you don't sometimes because for the lack of zero trust, you don't know exactly, you know, this data can be repli re replicated. You could have copy of the data that will go into different, you know, places. You have no idea. So, uh, even if this happens, if you use uh, the robust post-quantum encryption scheme, uh, even if your data is somewhere, it won't be decrypted. So right now, to be precise, it's possible to protect and to use 
post-quantum cryptography. Actually, in the US, they have started to push and to be very pushy, um, especially for the administration and also for the top corporation, you know, most critical uh, company in the US and in particular the banks. They start to push and to say you have to use you have to use now cryptography that is post-quantum you know resistant. It doesn't have to be applied on all type of data, but on the most sensitive now it's possible to do. One caveat: um, what we call now post-quantum cryptography is actually a mix, and this is what we do at Cosmian. We are seriously, and I'm proud to say to say so, one of the very few companies worldwide to propose post-quantum encryption. And this encryption, you know, following the guidelines of the NIST of the Cybersecurity Agency, it's a mix of classic encryption and already some post-quantum actually cryptography. Because quantum computers, um, it's still something new. So they are going to evolve. So they are also going to become stronger, you know, in terms of, you know, uh, breaking the code. Uh, so right now, the best way to protect is to do this hybridization of classic and post-quantum cryptography. And how, and, and has the, uh, uh, cryptography is evolving and also getting even stronger. Um, you, we will actually, you know, move from, um, a mix of classical and post-quantum to something that will be 100% post-quantum, you know, in fact, yeah. in five, seven years. But right now, the hybridization is already very strong, uh, and we follow those the guidelines of the other cybersecurity security agencies. So yes, the message is now, uh, well, if you want to encrypt post-quantum everything, fine, but maybe you don't have to, but actually for the most sensitive data, this is already possible, yeah. And to mention that with post-quantum, people always think about performance once again, and now the performance also is very good. Even with post-quantum encryption, it's uh, it's super fast. That's really interesting. That's kind of my question: is is like the security side? Are we are we condemned to be reactive, or can we be proactive? Can we address these things before our our our, hmm. our risk planes get and our our get too exposed, or or are we condemned to always be reacting to like the latest technology? Well, it, sounds, actually, it yeah. sounds like it really depends on the urgency of the industry and how they view it. Well, the urgency is uh, there might be some in industry, you know, or where you don't have a lot of sensitive data, um, maybe. But the, the the key message is that now it's possible to address those risks. So it's you can say this is being reactive because you need to adapt and use new tool more more performing with more performance. But actually, this is to be proactive. If um, um, uh, in terms of cryptography, you know, when you see all those attacks, especially, you know, what happened in, uh, in many hospitals, you know, not only in France, but, you know, in the world and across Europe. Um, if your data, you know, uh, are stolen, encrypted, and you, you know, as the organization is the one who encrypted the data, so you are the only one to be able to decrypt. If those data are stolen, well, it's a pity because it means that someone broke into your system and stole data, but they won't be able to decrypt the data. So that's still better than, <laughs> you know, they, they, they can't do anything with that. There will be no blackmailing, you know, this is what happened. They, they can, they can sell, they can't sell, you know, encrypted data on the, on the dark web because no one is going to buy data that they can't decrypt. Um, so that level already of using, you know, the new tools in encryption that actually now fit to, you know, the cloud environment, uh, the big data, and this new environment for cybersecurity 
it's not to be reactive, it's really to be proactive. Once again, to uh, protect yourself, your data and your assets and your company from potential attacks. And those attacks, you know, the level of those attacks have definitely increased, you know, in sophistication. So uh, it's not to be reactive, but to be uh, proactive, um, to also, uh, you know, um, also raise your um, the playing the playing field, you know, on the side of the corporation. So I don't see this, you know, as a, as being reactive, but as being proactive. Uh, but usually, yes, if you have if you have an issue with a data leak, leakage, yeah, you become more reactive because you know that you have to do it. Um, so actually, it's sad to hear all of those attacks. But if you can actually help other companies to say, yeah, I don't want this to happen to me. Um, so I need to invest. I need to do because eventually, if it happens, the cost of that it's actually going to be bigger. Definitely, it's bigger. You you mentioned cost. You said that data breaches. Are is that because of the legislative environment? Is that because governments yeah. are putting heavier fines mm -hmm. on this stuff? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So uh, the legislation, and so th that could depend, you know, on, on the different countries. And we see, for instance, that so in the U.S., um, there's regulation, of course, for banks, for medical data, so on and so forth. But there's also an environment where, um, and it was pushed by a little bit by the government, not by a law, but it was more like a framework to say that if it's proven that a company had a data leakage, bad news, of course. But if it even proven that that company didn't put in place the common best practice in cybersecurity and amongst them encryption, but not only encryption. So this is going to be, this is going to cost them even more, you know, because eventually the user, the data of the user, you know, the, Patient at the hospital or the bank user that you know have seen their data stolen, if they learn that actually it's because the company didn't put in place you know the necessary tools that are almost like commonplace now, yes, you know uh, class action system it's it costs a lot of money. <laughs> um, yeah. So this is definitely something that you know this is in that you know that that's the, that balance actually which is becoming more and more actually complicated and not only for. Uh, the money aspect, which is obviously always important, but also a reputation, you know, uh, yeah, if, if a company, yeah, the, the reputation risk, it's, uh, it costs money, definitely. So, uh, you don't want to see your name as a company on, you know, top pages of the, of, of the newspaper saying that you are totally, you know, uh, not up to the task to protect your customer's data. So you will say, okay, I don't care. You know, they all sign a contract to, uh, to be my clients. No, <laughs> you're going to lose clients and you won't get new ones. <laughs> Yeah, I think in the U.S. we have one quarter of the world's lawyers. Um, and so if you do something wrong, you're probably going to get sued. Um, and we also, um, for example, I, I get my credit note in the United States where they tell me my credit score. And they also tell me if I can, I can join any class actions against other organizations who have misused my data. And and so periodically you just get like a little notice where it's like, hey, you might be eligible for five hundred dollars or X number of dollars because this company data and you didn't even know they had access to data or, or anything like that. But it it does catch up to these organizations. Okay. Um, and the guidelines you're talking about are those written by the National Institute of Security Standard or like NIST? Um, NIST, it's not. It's it's. Um... It's not really standard for cybersecurity. It's um, uh, it's actually the more the guidelines from the uh, cybersecurity agency, which is okay. not the, the NIST. This is yeah. more um, um, standardization actually institute for standards in technology. 
um, and it's more related to the post-quantum stuff, for instance. But actually, you know, you have uh, like ANSI in France, you have uh, ENISA in, uh, in Europe, so definitely they have, uh, they have those guidelines. But the whole question is, you know, how do you really enforce those guidelines? So I think that in the US, you have the uh, natural enforcement of the this this pool of market, lawyers yeah, that you yeah, mentioned the market. market. Yeah. I'm not sure this is exactly the same. So sometimes I feel that you know there's a feeling you know uh, that could be okay. Uh, uh, so far so good. You know um, I don't think in the US they really think like that. Uh, they're like okay so far so good. <clears throat> you know this is a bit uh, this is a bit cautious. But maybe now um, uh, actually in, in Europe there could be a, a way uh, to enforce but to really you know raise the level and uh, make sure that. Uh, that level of security is definitely increasing. So uh, you see, yes, all those attacks, you know, and data leakage on hospital, you know, on uh, um, uh, anal analysis laboratories. It's um, uh, and there are really simple stuff that have to be done. Doesn't have to be super sophisticated, but um, you know, as people don't want to see uh, this hospital that was, you know, attacked a uh, uh, couple of months ago. You know, but you know. Um, People having cancer and those data. So you, you, this is the data that uh, you want to be. You don't want this data to be uh, accessible. You know, it it's, it's, it brings so much more. You know, difficulties. You know, uh, uh, you don't want if you had a cancer when you were twenty or twenty five, or um, just it's going to obliterate the rest of your life when you want to have credit or you want to do stuff like that. So this is this is really you know this is really hurting you know people's life. So um, uh, yeah, there's, this there's is. A there's yeah. a human element to it. You're right. Which, which is very strong. Which is very strong. Oh. I think, you know, I, I have children who are 15. I tell them, it's like, once it's on the internet, it's on the internet. Well, but you don't understand that at 15. Hard, um, but, but even as adults, a lot of adults, complicated stuff. Speaking of complicated, what you guys just do is pretty technical. So is that a challenge from a marketing standpoint, marketing your solutions, uh, or is your market um, <laughs> so focused on what you do that they tend to get it and it's... Oh, it, it, it's a challenge. It's a challenge um, within actually our space and the space of our, you know, um, customers and key, you know, uh, the key people we talk to in the sense that um, we talk to cybersecurity people, you know, data people, technical people, architects. We don't talk to, you know, uh, uh, the general audience, you know, right. uh, so uh, that would be even tougher. Uh, and yeah. the, so, um, uh, but, but still, you know, um, so we, we still talk to technical people who actually, um, they know actually, they, they have the background uh, yes, technical technical backgrounds in cybersecurity. They have they have some background in cryptography, you know, uh, so they, they know you know the, the they know the words, they know the concepts. So they may not actually know um, the the recent state of the art progresses or advances. This is what we have to um, actually to communicate. Uh, but still, still, I mean, um, you know, for a, a startup like Cosmian, the the evolution in the way we position what we do and we explain what you do, what we do is actually uh, at the beginning we were really, you know, um, focusing and and pushing, you know, the the wonderful world of cryptography. You know, we say it's mathematics. You know, so look what you can do with uh, with cryptography. You can protect data and use data. Fantastic. And as we evolve and we grow. Um, it's like the cryptography, it's it's not the entry point. It's really to identify and to speak our 
clients, you know, um, uh, language and to actually really uh, talk about the pain points of our clients. And, and, and the, the challenge for us is actually, um, and this is why, you know, uh, coding something, uh, it's one, it's one thing, but then a code that is really a product that answer a pain point, different, it's really, it's really complicated. It's, it's really different. And, um, and then the challenge is really for us to try to hide the cryptography, you know, again, cryptography is hiding stuff. Um, uh, it's not that we can't explain, but this is not, people don't, don't buy, you know, cryptography. That's for the sake of it. They will choose Cosmian because we uh, solve a big issue for them. We solve a big problems. And if this problem is solved by cryptography, great, <laughs> great for us. Uh, so sometimes people say, oh, how do you do to, you do something innovative and you sell innovation. I say, I don't sell innovation. No, nobody wants to buy innovation right. because it's yeah. risky. Uh, we are here to solve issues that were not solved before. And it's innovative because we solved them in a way that wasn't, you know, investigated before. And this is why it's innovative. And in our field, this is with cryptography. Um, so um, the challenge for us is really actually to to be at the right level and to concentrate and to really identify and and package and answer the pain point of the of, of our clients and to understand why they can't do what they would like to do and how we can help them to do so. Uh, and if it's with cryptography, super, and we explain that. But usually the they come to us because they, they understood now that we have ways to solve things that they couldn't solve before. And this is yeah. with cryptography. It's also a secondary aspect of it, you yeah. see. What, what you do is security. How you do it is with cryptography. And, and, but what it really comes down is why do it, which is, you know, you protect your data. You want to mm. ensure oh, yeah. that your customer's data is protected, that you're, yeah. you're being ethical exactly. and, and, and so. practicing business practices so that, that makes absolute sense but i see that you know a lot of companies with a very technical focus it's a real challenge to learn to talk um and to communicate with oh, yeah. clients and what's interesting is is you what you just said is we talk less about ourselves than we did at the beginning and we do a lot more listening to what our customers are trying to do oh yeah it's a natural, and, and, actually, evolution. and, and the, the the more interesting part of it is you know i sometimes i see you know the the, the decks we had at the beginning of the company you know it's <laughs> I was like, wow, <laughs> we are very far from that. But we are doing with the materials we had at the time. So, um, yeah. so that's, that's absolutely, uh, absolutely, uh, normal. But this is really, you know, as you say, it's really to focus on the, 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 the client's needs and to package it and to understand that and not to talk about us actually, but really to understand what they want to do and how we can, uh, we can, we can help. And uh, with cryptography actually for data protection, Cryptography is really uh, the best, the best tool, the best weapon against you know attacks. If your data is encrypted, and you you know have control on encrypt and decrypt, uh, and you, nothing can happen. <laughs> Listen, uh, you've been very generous with your time. Um, I do have just a couple more questions. So, um, but I'm going to change a little bit away from your company. Maybe just ask you about your role as a founder and a co. So what? For you, what has been the biggest challenge? Your last role, I read, you were a general manager of an organization. Mm. Now you're a co-founder and a CEO. What's been the biggest challenge? Co-founder and a CEO. Well, comparing to my previous role as a general manager, I uh, I was not the co-founder of the company. So it's right. actually, uh, and this is something that I wanted. I wanted to develop my my own project. You know, so uh, uh, it's it's there's a lot of issues. There's a lot of 
troubles, but it's a different troubles than when I was actually uh, when I was um, uh, actually an employee of a, of a company. So I have other. <laughs> I prefer to have the issue as <laughs> as a co-founder than when I was an employee. Um, which is really, um, I mean, which the name of the game is really to be able to to last, to last, and to stay focused on what you try to achieve from the beginning. You know, what was this? You know, market intuition. You know, you know, back with uh, um, science, back with the people that you work with, and, and everything. So um, there are so many occasions to be not only distracted but to take other paths. Because you have, when you start something new, and especially also with that type of technology, there's a lot of things that you can do. So right. it, it's it's also um, so the role is also to is actually to to say no uh, yeah. at some point, or you can say no, then you can come back and say yes. Steve, but, then, but, yeah. but Steve Jobs said that he said, "I'm as proud as the things we didn't do, as the things we did." Um, so you, in order, you can't do everything. You can't be everything to everybody. So sometimes you have to, you do the yeah. best service to yourself and your organization by Absolutely. saying no. Yeah, you have to say no. And sometimes, you know, as a startup, it's it's more like a, a spiral stuff. You know, you so the the the, the most important is to to go up. <laughs> but sometimes, you know, in a spiral, you when you turn at some point, you maybe come back a little bit on your previous track, but still you're going up. Um, yeah. So uh, so sometimes you have to recognize that. What you thought six months ago or three months ago was not something to do, um, but then you back up a little bit and you say, "Oh, uh, maybe uh, you know what the clients say. You know the way you understand what we do. That's maybe something that we need to investigate." So uh, you have to find a way to say no, as you say, because you could go in so many directions. You can dilute yourself, and uh, eventually you have the, the business has to grow. And at the same time, because things are still new, you know. Um, you need to make sure that you take roads that are not definitive at some point. Um, you have to make choices, and when you make those choices, definitively you know that you won't come back. But still, you need to preserve, you know, a way to progress. Where, um, yeah, if you have to come back a little bit and adapt something, uh, it's not like you put everything, you know, through the windows and you have to start from scratch. So this is really, you know, how to find that balance between uh, progressing, you know. Um, not cutting, you know, um, fundamental options, but sometimes you don't know when you take the decision, those options are fundamental. Maybe you will discover, you know, two weeks later or three months later. Uh, that's yeah. the beauty of the job. <laughs> but still, yeah, you have to, you have to balance this too. Yeah. You have to balance this too. Yeah. Um, every, every founder CEO I've ever met has always described being part of a growth growing company as being something like on a, on a roller coaster. So there's a lot yeah. of oh, definitely. Up, ups and, and downs. Oh, yeah. And so, and sometimes you, you think this is going to work and it's a total failure. And <laughs> sometimes you think, okay, this is, this is not, I don't want, this is garbage. I don't want to even look at that. And then boom, <laughs> the light comes from the garbage. <laughs> so it's a roller coaster, but as long as you have ups <laughs> yeah. and the downs, that's good. <laughs> and surround yourself with the good people. Listen, again, thank you so much for your time. Okay, last two questions. What's your favorite rock song? Well, my favorite rock song is a French band uh, from the Rita Mitsuko called C'est Comme Ça. You know, when I like energy, I put that, you know, super loud and everything is fine. <laughs> okay. Great. I don't know that one. I'll have to go look that up after this. I'm not allowed to play music on the show. <laughs> um, and, okay. Last question. You're a sponsor of B2B Rocks. Are you going to be at B2B Rocks next week? 
Uh, yeah, uh, me and the team, uh, we're going to be there. It's, uh, it's a very important, you know, uh, moment actually for us to uh, engage. So uh, we're going to be there. Uh, huge okay. team, huge team. Good. I, well, that's great. Uh, I hope we get a chance to meet. Uh, I'll be on the main stage in a bit. And, um, I wish you the best week. And uh, Thank you. You too. Maybe I'll get a chance to buy you a coffee. I would love thank to. <laughs> thank you, Stephen. <laughs> thank, thank you so much for your time and have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Really interesting people. It's we're in technology, but I always say it. Listen, uh, no show next week. We do a live show from Bucks with notes and stage. Uh, thank you so much for coming, and um, um. Look forward to seeing you there. And if you're interested in security and encryption and how to protect your data, how to learn to exploit your data better, I recommend that you come and uh, talk with Cosmian. Go in there. Thank you very much and have a great day.